Mark Zuckerberg told The New Yorker the news source he definitely follows is TechMeme. So listen to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, the podcast anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every day. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you get a rundown of what happened in the world of tech with all the headlines, context, commentaries, and tweets from all the biggest players. New episodes every day at 5 p.m. Eastern. Search your favorite podcast app for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Zenni offers thousands of affordable eyewear styles, starting at just $6.95. No ridiculous markups, no hassles, just quality, affordable eyewear delivered right to you. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. AC360 did not air on CNN today. For this podcast episode, we are bringing you an hour of CNN coverage from earlier in the day. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Our friends at Zenni Optical offer a huge variety of high-quality, stylish frames and state-of-the-art optics starting at just $6.95. You can get multiple frames with this great pricing for less than one pair elsewhere. Start building your eyewear wardrobe from the comfort of your own home at Zenni.com. With the latest trends in eyewear, available in hundreds of frame styles and materials, there isn't a better way to change it up for every season. Plus, Zenni offers prescription sunglasses at incredible prices. Visit Zenny today at zenny.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I dot com slash CNN. And as we remember the fallen, I just want to say thank you to all of the men and the women in the military. Let's start this hour with CNN senior White House correspondent Pamela Brown. And, and Pamela, on the president today, we know we saw him paying respects to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. How is he spending this Memorial Day? Well, while the president has honored the fallen service members in tweets of, and also there at a ceremony at Arlington National Cemetery, uh, Brooke, it is clear uh, that he also has some other things on his mind on this Memorial Day. In a tweet uh, just before he went to Arlington National Cemetery about Memorial Day, he also uh, touted uh, his own accomplishments as it pertains to the economy, uh, the unemployment rate as well. And Brooke, once again, uh, he attacked the Russia probe in a series of tweets this morning as well. This follows a number of tweets over the weekend uh, where the president also attacked the Russia probe. In this particular tweet, he said, why didn't the 13 angry Democrats investigate the campaign of crooked Hillary Clinton? Many crimes, much collusion with Russia. Why didn't the FBI take the server from the D.C. DNC rigged investigation? Now, just to fact check this quickly here, Brooke, it is true that uh, 13 of the at least 17 lawyers on Mueller's team have previously registered as Democrats. Uh, eight of them have given to Democratic candidates. But what is missing, the point missing here is that the man overseeing the probe, Robert Mueller, is a registered Republican, as was the person uh, who appointed him, Rod Rosenstein, a registered Republican as well. And what appears to be a coordinated effort here with his attorney in the Russia probe, Rudy Giuliani, uh, he echoed the similar sentiment in interviews over the weekend, Brooke, saying that the, um, the Mueller probe is rigged, talking about the 13 uh, Democrats on the Mueller team. And in a stunning admission, Brooke, uh, Rudy Giuliani said that basically the effort here, the strategy here is, is basically a PR campaign mm -hmm. to sway 
public opinion about the Mueller probe to undermine it so that uh, it doesn't carry as much credibility in the court of public opinion. Rudy Giuliani making the point that that's important because if it comes down to whether to impeach or not impeach the president, that lawmakers will be listening to their constituents. A pretty stunning admission there. And also, uh, for the first time, Rudy Giuliani came out questioning the legitimacy of the Russia probe. So it's clear, uh, Brooke, that not only are they looking at a legal strategy, but also a PR strategy with all of this, Brooke. Significant what Rudy, Rudy Giuliani told Dana over the weekend. We're going to play some of that here in just a second. Pamela, thank you very much at the White House for me. But I do want to get now to the president's summit uh, on again, off again with North Korea. So for an event he canceled last week, there sure is a lot of action, as in right now, Americans are in North Korea. This is what the president tweeted on this. Quote, our United States team has arrived in North Korea to make arrangements for the summit between Kim Jong-un and myself. I truly believe North Korea has brilliant potential and will be a great economic and financial nation one day. Kim Jong-un agrees with me on this. It will happen. Here is the negotiator for the U.S. who's meeting with his North Korean counterpart. Reportedly, both of these officials were part of negotiations back in uh, 2005 between Washington and Pyongyang. So to our CNN international correspondent, Matt Rivers, we go in Seoul, South Korea. And, and Matt, you know, that, that, that date on the calendar for this summit, it was supposed to be June 12th. Does that date stand? As of now, it would appear that way, although let's check back in 24 or 48 hours, Brooke, because over the last four or five days here in the Korean Peninsula, things have really changed quite drastically. But look at, let's look at what's happened recently here. What you're seeing is concrete steps from the American side to push this summit forward. So you've got a logistics delegation from the U.S. down in Singapore right now trying to figure out uh, all of the kind of basic details. Where is the summit going to be held? What kind of media access will, will there be? But then the more important part there, you could argue, would be what's going on just north of us at the demilitarized zone. That's where that uh, American delegation led by Ambassador Sung Kim, who you just showed his picture on the screen, went into the North Korean side of the DMZ and met with the North Koreans. There, they're trying to figure out, well, what is this summit going to look like? What is the agenda? What can be accomplished? What is President Trump going to sit across the table from Kim Jong-un and talk about? That's the hard part. That's where it becomes difficult. But taken in totality here, Brooke, what you've seen over the past couple of days, even if we don't have an official announcement yet that this summit is back on, all the stakeholders, the North Koreans, the Americans, the South Koreans, everybody is taking the necessary steps to push forward to make this summit a reality. How successful the summit will be, though, is another question entirely. Sure seems like they want it, though. Well, We'll talk again in 24 to 48 hours. Matt Rivers in South Korea. Thank you very much. Um, let's have a bigger discussion now. With me now, CNN political analyst Karin Demersian, who's a congressional reporter with The Washington Post, and CNN legal analyst Paul Callen. Uh, I really wanted to hone in on what point Pamela was making earlier about Rudy Giuliani. He, he comes on CNN over the week, and he's, he talks with Dana Bash, and he makes this huge admission. Um, Karin, to you, he, he said, Team Trump is trying to discredit Mueller in the court of the public opinion that their political their, their, their strategy is, is political, not legal. Here he was. They're giving us the material. I, I, I couldn't do it if I didn't have the material. Of course we have to do it in defending the president. We're defending, um, to a large extent, remember, Dana, we're defending here. It is for public opinion because eventually the decision here is going to be impeach, not impeach. Members of Congress, Democrat and Republican, are going to be informed a lot by their constituents. So our jury... Is the, as it should be, is the American people. 
So uh, I want to hear from both of you on this. First, just on the politics piece, and then from from a legal perspective, Karin. I mean, he, he's admitting this is about the court of public opinion. This is political. He's being very honest. I mean, look, there are always two audiences here. One is how Trump is going to interface with the actual legal investigation with Bob Mueller's team um, and, and, and how he's dealing with the actual investigation. The other half was always going to be the court of public opinion. Look, the track record, I mean, the, the, the pace at which the, the special counsel's investigation is proceeding right now, odds are we end up at least in the same realm as the November 2018 midterm elections by the time we get any place that looks like anything like the end of this probe. Um, and so if the House of Representatives flips, there's probably going to be some sort of impeachment proceedings happening. And so the president has been playing this to the public for a long time because it really does matter in terms of how his fate continues um, after November 2018. And it also matters because this is kind of working for him to an extent. He may not be gaining the respect of the special counsel and his team, but he does seem to be earning sympathy points in the public. And that counts, too, especially if he isn't ultimately going to be indicted as a sitting president. And that's an open question. So Giuliani is being brutally honest about the fact that there's been two tracks going here at the same time. It's not what you'd expect to hear from the president's lawyer, but it is the situation that we're in. Brutal honesty. Is that the legal strategy you'd be taking here? <laughs> well, <laughs> listen, honesty is, is always a good strategy, yeah. but uh, Dana Bash asked him this question, Giuliani. Are you trying to undermine this investigation? Now, normally what a lawyer will say is we're being fully cooperative with the investigation. We think they're wrong. We think they reached the wrong conclusion, but we will cooperate as the law requires. Instead, That's not, instead Giuliani says, yeah, we're trying to undermine the investigation. Yeah. And they have given us the material to undermine the investigation. Now, when a lawyer says that, it sounds to me like he's recommending an obstruction of justice. And um, I think Giuliani's getting perilously close to uh, stating things that were, are unethical for an attorney to state. I'll just give you one quick example, yeah. okay? Yeah. Let's say a, a large business uh, was being investigated because of embezzlement. And a vice president in the, in the business said, we're not going to cooperate with the cops. We're going to do everything possible to undermine that embezzlement investigation. You know, like hide the records, okay? Mm -hmm. Well, th that would be a criminal obstruction of justice. And yeah, maybe it would help him in the court of public opinion, and his product would sell better. But in the actual court court... It's still it's... an obstruction. And you. Giuliani's perilously close to advising his client to commit a crime, and I think it's disgraceful. Wow. Wow, Paul Callen, coming out swinging okay. on Memorial Day. Um, I, I hear you. Also, though, if, if, if they want to talk politics, politics Karin, I, let's just take a step back here. Again, it is Memorial Day when you look at what the president has attacked. And I just want to make sure we're not getting numb to any of this. In 24 hours, you have a president of the United States who's attacked an active investigation involving uh, him accusing FBI, DOJ, and Democrats of colluding with Russians. He's called the Miller probe rigged without providing any evidence. And he's attacked the Russia probe here on Memorial Day before he walks into Arlington National Cemetery. Yeah, I mean, well, this is the, the, the two sides of President Trump. Look, his, his Twitter account is the most raw representation of who he is and who he is um, on the, the stage. I mean, he gave a very good speech at Arlington, and that was written by somebody else. And he did deliver it very well and, you know, hit all the right notes for Memorial Day. But at the same time, when he's off the stage, he is delivering his own feelings on Memorial Day, which don't seem to have as much to do with remembering the fallen as they do with expressing his own feelings and opinions about things that are involving him right now. Um, so it's kind of like any other day, almost, with, the, with how the president's um, opining about mm. the, both the Russia probe and other matters as well.
And then there was this, the, here's a clip from Democratic Senator Chris Coons as he's suggesting Trump Jr., Don Jr., may be lying about foreign contacts and needs to come back and testify. Here he was. I'm concerned that in reviewing the transcript of Donald Trump Jr.'s uh, uh, questioning by a staff of the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee, uh, that there's a clear tension between his firm answers that there was no efforts by a foreign power to provide assistance to the Trump campaign and recent reporting that there were meetings that he participated in where representatives of uh, Gulf states uh, were offering some assistance to the Trump campaign. What are the chances, Paul Callen, that he, that he does that? What options lay on the table for these lawyers? To, um, in terms of uh, obstructing the just uh, the, uh, the investigation going and, back. and changing. Well, um, he's, he's, if he gets called back in, he's going to have to go back in and give the information. So, I, you know, I don't think they, they have a lot of options available to stop it from happening. And I also think, and I've always thought with respect to this entire investigation, if any of these investigations start to get close to the Trump children, that's when you're going to see real pressure put on the president, more so than anything else. I mean, he's very confident about defending himself and saying it's all politics. But everything but changes it, when your family Yeah, if involved. he sees his kids getting hurt by it, uh, that's a real pressure point. And let me tell you something. Prosecutors use family members against uh, potential suspects all the time. So it could happen here. Paul, thank you okay, very thank much. You. And Karin, thank you as well. Coming up next, President Trump touts his own record of achievements uh, in a tweet to honor our fallen troops. And it has some veterans in this country absolutely outraged. Also ahead, catastrophic flooding in one Maryland city. At least one man is missing after he tried to help a woman's cat from uh, drowning in the waters. I'll speak to one of his friends and later. Children as young as 18 months uh, old being ripped from their parents' arms at the border. It is happening right now in the U.S. We will fact check what's really happening with this new Trump administration policy. Stay with me. Remember, to create an ad like this one, visit purewinning.com CNN. To every family member of the fallen, I want you to know that the legacy of those you lost does not fade with time, but grows only more powerful. Their legacy does not, like a voice in the distance, become a faint echo, but instead their legacy grows deeper, spreading further, touching more lives, reaching down through time and out across many generations. President Trump pausing this Memorial Day to honor the nation's fallen service members. He spoke there at Arlington National Cemetery while also laying a wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier. The president is also taking the day to celebrate his own achievements, uh, tweeting, quote, Happy Memorial Day. Those who died for our great country would be very happy and proud at how well our country is doing today. Best economy in decades, lowest unemployment numbers for blacks and Hispanics ever, parentheses, and women in 18 years, rebuilding our military and so much more. Nice. So let's start there with CNN military analyst, Lieutenant General Mark Hurtling. He's a former Army commanding general and CNN politics commentator uh, Paris Denard. He is a member of the Trump Advisory Board. So, gentlemen, nice to have both of you on. And, General, as always, thank you so much for your service to this great country. Um, on the president's tweet, and I'm sure you saw... Uh, retired Rear Admiral John Kirby's tweet earlier that he found the president's message to be, quote, inappropriate, ignorant and tone deaf. Is that going too far? How do you feel? Uh, I'm with 
Admiral Kirby, Rook, I know I don't speak for all veterans, but I was extremely disappointed in that tweet, too. Even a little bit saddened by such an emptiness of understanding of what today is all about and such a lack of situational awareness. You know, I know that there are, were a lot of Gold Star families who either read the tweet or heard about it because it's been on the news now, and I'm sure it was hurtful to them as well. You know, the best way on Memorial Day to honor the fallen is to make the message about them or about the families that are trying to survive after the death of their loved ones. So yeah, I'm, I'm with Admiral Kirby on that and said so myself. Uh, this day is supposed to be about the families and about the memory of those who uh, gave the ultimate sacrifice. Paris, how do you see it? First of all, thank you for having me here on Memorial Day. My thoughts and prayers go out to all of those uh, families who have dealt with the ultimate sacrifice of having their family member uh, mm -hmm. killed on the battlefield. And, uh, and I want to look at what President Trump said and, and say the president was right. The soldiers who fought, bled, and died did so for the freedoms of America. They did so so that we could have uh, the opportunity to live in a free enterprise system where we do have a strong economy. They did so so that we would live under American rule and not under rule of commun communism or socialism or under the Islamic State. And so because of their sacrifices and because of people who serve right now fighting for us and protecting us, we have had the freedoms and the free enterprise system and a capitalist system that allows us to have an amazing economy, a strong government, and a sense of pride in being American and, and, and seeing America grow and rise. And a Congress and a president, especially, who is leading the charge to have more funding for our military. So the president's remarks via Twitter and his remarks uh, there uh, at Arlington were, were uh, heartfelt and were appropriate. And I don't think anybody should question the president's commitment to our soldiers, our veterans, and our Gold Star families. When you look at his chief of staff, General John Kelly, and the ultimate sacrifice that he, his family gave in the loss of his son back in, in Afghanistan in 2010, the president understands that because he can just walk right down the hall and hear it from his chief of staff, who talks to him regularly. So I think the president is acutely aware of what Memorial Day is. And that's why we celebrate and honor the sacrifice of, our, of, of all of those, those families first. We celebrate our families, their courage, but we also remember and pay respect to those who, fall, who, have, fell, so who have fallen. I wanted to hear you in full, and I'm also listening to the general really closely. And, and, and you know, so I understand you're saying that the, the, our men and women fought for, you know, this great country. But then why uh, the president, the, his words were beautiful at Arlington. Why not just leave it at that and not also tweet about this spy conspiracy and, and Russia before going to Arlington and laying that wreath at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier? Why go there today of all days? Well, I think the, the, the president is able to tweet and talk about multiple things. Uh, the president uh, decided to talk about other things as well. Uh, but I think the president's tweet about his multiple tweets, I should say, if we're going to be fair, his multiple tweets about Memorial Day and his wreath laying ceremony and this, uh, his remarks at length at Arlington were all appropriate. And I think the president has a right. And we all have freedom of speech, which is one of the things that those soldiers, they protect us for, the, the Constitution, for us to be able to tweet and to speak how we, we, how we want to freely. But the president, give him credit. He did tweet on multiple occasions about Memorial Day specifically, without any other inter, uh, uh, 
fact or anything else inserted in there. At least four to five tweets were specifically about Memorial Day. Okay, I, I want to leave this, but one more opportunity. General, do you want to respond, and then I want to move on. Yeah, I want to respond, because actually I'm seething by what Paris is saying, because first of all, the president doesn't understand the sacrifices of anyone, because I tell you, having not given my life on the battlefield, my family doesn't understand the pain that other families feel. So he doesn't. I don't care if General Kelly uh, works down the hall from him or not. It's not a matter of that. There's a lack of situational awareness of what this day is all about. And yes, the president did tweet later after his speech about all of the things he said at the memorial service. And I would guess that that was probably his staff tweeting for him to counter what he tweeted out at 1032 this morning, about a half hour before that service went down. And what I'll say, tell you again, Brooke, he doesn't get it. He, there's a lack of situational understanding when it has to when it comes to the veterans and what veterans are looking for in terms of their leader, their commander in chief. So I'll just leave it at that. OK, OK. Um, General, let me just stay with you because I want to ask you about how we know the president's been planning on this trip to, to the U.K., is planning on going at some point this summer. And so in an interview with The Guardian, Chelsea Clinton seemingly calls the British to protest his trip. And in part, she says, if I lived in Britain, I would show up to protest because I don't agree with what he's doing to degrade what it means to be an American. Degrade what it means to be an American. What do you think she means by that? I think some of the comments he's made about many of our alliances, uh, especially the alliance with the UK, with NATO, with others, is what Ms. Clinton is talking about. Uh, and she has a free voice as well and can voice her concerns. Uh, I, I'm not sure it's appropriate to request other people boycott, uh, but in this, especially other people from a different nation. Uh, but I can understand her sent sentiment. Uh, because it is somewhat embarrassing the way uh, our president, our commander-in-chief, has been interacting with other nations, uh, especially those that are part of an alliance. What did you think of those comments, Paris? Well, listen, che Chelsea Clinton uh, can say whatever she wants. It's a free country. Uh, but I think that her comments were, her tweets were uh, inappropriate and rude. I don't think she would have want, <laughs> wanted anybody to say something like that about her father, who was a former president, or about her mother, uh, who tried to be president several times over. So I just don't think that she is, is actually being fair and would really want that to be done to members of her own family. It's unfortunate that she, as an American, who reaps the benefits of being an American, uh, would call on others uh, outside of our country to protest uh, and, 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 and to do something so disrespectful to the leader of the free world, especially on a diplomatic mission going overseas. And so it's just unfortunate, but I'm not surprised. Okay. Paris and General This, this may be a direct yeah. reaction to some of the things the president has done in terms of disrespecting the people of London, uh, the London mayor and many of the political uh, entities within the U.K. Uh, I'm sure they were disrespected by many of the things President Trump said as well. Well, if they were so disrespected, they would not have invited him to come uh, to visit their country, which they did do. And so if they don't want him there, they should not have invited him. And they have. And that's what Theresa May has done. And so she understands diplomacy. I think the, France understands that. North Korea is soon going to see it. South Korea, China, the list goes on and on. The president is doing a wonderful job internationally, and he deserves to have that respect given to him, like she would have asked for her mother okay. or her father. Okay. Two perspectives. Want to hear them both. General Hurtling and Paris Denard, thank you, gentlemen, very much.
Thank you. Com coming up next, the Trump administration under fire after losing track of nearly 1,500 immigrant children. Where are they? We've got the facts coming up. I'm Andy Katz from March Madness 365, and on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's Tyus Battle. I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game, just being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways, shooting the ball, I think that's improved, and uh, just my playmaking ability as well. Subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. stunning admission. The U.S. government says it has lost track of nearly 1,500 immigrant children. These little boys and girls who were picked up at the border as unaccompanied minors were then placed in homes of what were believed to be vetted sponsors. But now the question is, where are they? The federal government insists it is not legally responsible once the children are out of their care. There are obviously a lot of questions and a lot of misinformation spreading around the story. So for some fact-checking, let's go to CNN uh, White House reporter Sarah Westwood. And Sarah, start with the 1,475 kids. Well, Brooke, the Department of Health and Human Services recently admitted that its Refugee Resettlement Office was unable to locate nearly 1,500 kids who were placed by the agency with sponsors. Now, often those sponsors were people with family ties to the kids, but not always. And like you mentioned, HHS claims it no longer has legal responsibility for those kids once they're placed with sponsors. But those 1,475 kids, Brooke, are not people who are separated from their parents at the border. That's an important point of clarification. Instead, these kids whose whereabouts are unknown came to the border as unaccompanied minors, were taken into government custody, any family they had in the U.S. was tracked down, and then they were placed with those sponsors. Brooke? So, all right, so you make an important point under the differentiation of the stories. The outrage about these kids started to grow after all the reporting that kids are being, you know, separated from their families at the border. So while that may not be the case for these missing kids, you have heard of some instances of that, correct? Right. The Trump administration is threatening to separate more parents and kids at the border by referring 100 percent of illegal border crossings to the Justice Department. And any adults who are prosecuted could be sent to separate detention facilities and their children taken away. That policy shift already drawing a legal challenge from the American Civil Liberties Union. The ACLU noting in court, you have little kids being separated, 18 months old, and they are sitting there screaming and crying, please don't let me be taken away. There are 700 little kids sitting there by themselves without their parents. They are traumatized. Now, senior administration officials are claiming that the policy change is meant as a deterrent to prospective undocumented immigrants. Take a listen to what Attorney General Jeff Sessions had to say about it. If you're smuggling a child, then we're going to prosecute you. And that child will be separated from you, probably, as required by law. Uh, if you don't want your child to be separated, then don't bring them across the border illegally. Now, White House Chief of Staff John Kelly has dismissed criticism of this policy shift, saying during a recent interview with NPR, the children will be taken care of, put into foster care, or whatever. Brooke. Over the weekend, we know that Trump blamed this separation on a law passed by Democrats. What's the truth? 
Well, the truth is a little bit more complicated than that. Trump tweeting over the weekend put pressure on the Democrats to end the horrible law that separates children from their parents once they cross the border and into the U.S. The reality, though, is quite different. This is administration's own policy, and his own senior officials are characterizing this as an intentional effort to discourage future illegal immigration. In previous administrations, families who were caught at the border were held in family detention centers. The units were not split up, Brooke, so this is a clear shift that is being dictated by the Trump administration exclusively. And though the notion of losing kids, uh, I know that goes back several administrations here as well. It's a problem. Sarah Westwood, thank you very much uh, on the fact check. Right now, uh, the first name storm of the season, Alberto, is tracking up the Florida Gulf Coast. We'll take you there live to see uh, who's in the path. And a Maryland man is missing after he tried to save his neighbor's pet from the devastating floods in Ellicott City. Uh, a friend of Edison Herman's joins me live to explain what happened. Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current Yes analyst, Richard Jefferson on Bleacher Reports, The Full 48. For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of like, all I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it. The Full 48 is now available on Spotify. And of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Right about now, so tropical storm Alberto is uh, ready to hit along the Florida panhandle. The storm has already put a lot of uh, the southeast under a tropical storm warning or a flash flood watch. So let's go straight to CNN meteorologist Jennifer Gray, who is on the ground there in Pensacola Beach, Florida. And uh, Jennifer, what 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 are you what are you expecting? Just a lot of rain? Hopefully, not too much more. Right. I mean, basically, rain is going to be the, the biggest concern or the biggest threat with this storm. Hurricane season hasn't even started yet, doesn't begin until Friday, and we already have our first name system. Should be making landfall within the next uh, hour or two, and um, rain is the biggest threat. Tons of people go to beaches on Memorial Day, and you can see pretty much deserted behind me. Uh, not many people have been out at all, uh, off and on rain throughout the day. The panhandle uh, stretching all the way down to South Florida. This storm is not compact. It is, it is very messy, and so the impacts and the effects are far-reaching. We're seeing rain anywhere from South Carolina, Tennessee, all the way down to South Florida, and the panhandle included in that. So it has just been a messy weekend. We are going to look for possible of flooding, especially inland flooding, where we could see anywhere from 6 to 10 inches of rain across places like southern Alabama, and that will stretch up to possibly uh, 2 to 4 inches around the rest of Alabama, Tennessee, even the Florida panhandle. So uh, people have just been staying home and, um, and taking it easy for this Memorial Day. But um, it could have been a lot worse. We know no injuries, no damage so far, and, and hardly anyone has lost power, Brooke. We'll take it. Some rain, weekend storm, we'll take it. Jennifer Gray, thank you, in uh, Pensacola. Coming up next, at least one man is missing after these catastrophic floods in Ellicott City, Maryland. Uh, one of the missing man's friends joins me live to describe what happened. And Bobby Kennedy's son gives some credence to this whole theory that there might have been a second shooter involved in the assassination of his father back in 1968. Why he's calling for a new investigation after meeting with the man convicted of killing his father. 
So many people around the world depend on CNN's quality reporting, and now they have an incredible online store with clothes, gear, and gadgets. Right now, you can get 15% off your purchase. Just visit store.cnn.com, and when you're checking out, enter the code CNN Podcast. Just one word, and get a 15% discount. It's that simple. That's store.cnn.com. The cleanup is just beginning in Ellicott City, Maryland. Just over the weekend, torrential rain set off massive flash flooding so strong the waters collapsed buildings and trapped people within their homes. And there is this frantic search for a military veteran, uh, Sergeant Eddie Hermond, uh, with the Maryland National Guard. Witnesses say Hermond, who was not on duty at the time, slipped into the floodwaters while trying to help a woman save her cat, and he was then swept away. Uh, he also served more than 10 years in the Air Force. So I'm joined now by Joseph Lopez, Joe Lopez, a longtime friend of Eddie's who served in the Air Force with him. So, Joe, thank you so much for being with me, and hopefully we can help find your friend. Can you just go back to it's it's Sunday night. You guys are in Ellicott City. You're at this restaurant. It's raining, and the owner comes over and says, you got to go move your car. Then what happens? Well, uh, you know, like I said, like, like you just said, uh, initially... We're out having a good time. Uh, obviously, it was raining. Owner comes by, says, hey, everyone, get over here and move your cars. So we all go to the back patio, the parking lot in the back. Um, and and people start, you know, running out and moving their cars. You can see the water running through the parking lot. There's a there's kind of a man-made river behind the uh, behind the restaurant. And um, the, the, the water is kind of running into that. So 10 or 15 people ran across. Um, my friend Eddie, he asked me if he thought I thought he should do it. I told him to, you know, don't do that, forget it. Like your insurance will take care of all that stuff, you know. Um, so he didn't. Uh, about a half hour goes by. Um, we're kind of barricading the door. We're keeping the trying to keep the water out, um, trying to keep people, you know, from outside, letting them in a little bit. Um, and and so we go outside, and uh, this is kind of hard for me. I'm sorry. Um, uh, so there's a, a lady, a lady has a cat carrier. Um, she wants to leave, and she goes out and she, um, she, she's trying to cross the, the river. Basically, it's, it's almost like at that point, it's like a river running into a river. Um, Eddie, my friend Edison, goes out there, and he wants to help her. He races out. He grabs the cat carrier, and and you know we're all yelling at them basically to stop, like come back. Um, the current kind of takes him. Runs him into the river and and he floats away. I mean, and, and, and the river is like raging at this point in time. You watch your friend float away as he runs into it to try to help this woman. I know that you guys right. were in the Air Force together. You'd known him for 21 years. You've heard right. nothing. You've heard nothing from him. How hopeful are you? I mean, we're all still keeping up hope. I mean, a, a lot of he's got a ton of friends. Uh, he's an amazing guy. And, um, you know, we're all just kind of kind of waiting. They won't let us, obviously, they won't let anyone go down there. Um, you know, it's closed to the public, but it is, it is tough to just sit here and wait, knowing we can't do anything about it. Cannot begin to imagine. We're all hopeful right there with you, Joe Lopez. Uh, let's have you back on when you find your friend, okay? Thank you Joe so Lopez. much. 
Thank you in Ellicott City, Maryland. Uh, let's turn now to reporting from The Washington Post that one of Bobby Kennedy's sons is questioning whether the man convicted of the 1968 killing is actually responsible. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. tells the Post that he believes a second gunman, not Sirhan Sirhan, was the one who fired the fatal shots that killed his dad. Sirhan has spent the last 50 years behind bars for the assassination. RFK Jr. tells the Post that he recently met with Sirhan in prison, quoting Kennedy here, I went there because I was curious and, and disturbed by what I had seen in the evidence. I was disturbed that the wrong person might have been convicted of killing my father. My father was the chief law enforcement officer in this country. I think it would have disturbed him if somebody was put in jail for a crime they didn't commit. Uh, I want to bring in CNN presidential historian Tim Naftali. And Tim, I mean, when you read all the details that, that, that are laid out in this Washington Post piece, the number of gunshots, the way Bobby Kennedy was facing in that ambassador hotel kitchen. Well, um, as a historian, yeah. I'm an open-minded skeptic. So okay. let's take these questions one by one. Okay. The first thing we have to take uh, cognizance of is that many of these questions were raised in the early 1970s and they led to a re-examination of the assassination in 1977 uh, that was uh, overseen by or sponsored by the LA uh, uh, County. Um, and that examination looked at the following issues. First of all, was Sirhan Sirhan standing in front of RFK because the bullets entered RFK from the back? Turns out, yeah, he was standing in front, but RFK, a number of witnesses said that RFK turned. turned. Either turned to see Ethel or turned to talk to some of the kitchen workers. Number two, um, the bullets. They recovered a number of bullets. The bullets were from Sirhan Sirhan's gun. There was a bullet recovered from RFK's vertebra. It was a 22 caliber gun. There was no one else around RFK that had an RF, a 22 caliber gun except for Sirhan Sirhan, and from the markings on the bullet, it was clear it was from Sirhan Sirhan's gun. As for motive, Sirhan Sirhan wrote a notebook. Uh, that notebook was acquired by the prosecution. Sirhan Sirhan admitted it was his notebook, admitted writing the entries. The entries included entries such as, I want to kill Robert Kennedy. I want to kill Robert Kennedy on June 5th. Why June 5th? It was the first anniversary of the Six-Day War. Um, Sirhan Sirhan was self-radicalized. He was politicized by what happened in Palestine, where he was born. So you have motive. You have the fact that at least one of the bullets that hit Robert Kennedy came from his gun. And you have the fact that Robert Kennedy was probably turning around, which explains why he was hit in the back of the head. Now, yeah. why do people doubt this? Well, part why would RFK Jr. I don't, well, be I don't, looking at all of this and go all the way to prison and sit with a man who's convicted of killing his father for hours? I don't know. But I will say that Mr. Schrade, who, is, uh, who suffered through this tragedy, he raised questions about this in the 1970s. And as I said, the L.A. County, it was something known as the Krantz investigation. They looked at the issues that he raised. Also, CBS raised them at the time. Six years ago, a new recording appeared that had been made by a Canadian journalist who just, he didn't, this journalist did not see the assassination, but he was walking behind the Kennedy group and he recorded sounds. I have not listened to the raw tape. It's what I've heard is very muddy, but some people say they can hear 13 shots. Instead of the eight but, that was originally you know, recorded. Have we, has the FBI done an independent forensic analysis? I don't think so. Um, there are a lot of folks since the 70s who've wanted to believe there was a second gunman. Now, why would they want to believe it? 
let's go back to the 70s. The 70s were a very paranoid period in our history. In fact, arguably, we are now in the most paranoid period since the 70s. The 70s was a period of, of, of movies like The Parallax View, The Conversation. Why? Because we were learning about the CIA assassination attempts on Castro. We'd, we'd just been through Watergate. We had been disappointed in the lies that our government had told us during the Vietnam period. Understandably, Americans had a lot of skepticism about their government. So that was the era when a lot of the conspiracy thinking about JFK took root, about MLK, and sadly also about RFK. So we're, in a sense, revisiting questions that were raised in the 70s. My question is, is there any new real evidence that could, could undermine the official account? So far, I haven't seen any, and I think folks should think this way. The official account many times is right. At this point, there's an overwhelming amount of evidence that Sirhan Sirhan was what we would call these days a self-radicalized individual. Keep an open mind. If something comes out that changes it, we should be ready to absorb it. So far, at least, I haven't seen it. This RFK assassination plays a huge, huge role, obviously, in our uh, CNN original series, 1968. So we really wanted to talk about this and what some view is new information, but your whole point, and I hear you 100 percent loud and clear, that we saw how the case was tried and all of the documentation so many years ago. Um, but please tune in to all new episodes airing back to back starting tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern right here on CNN. Tim Naftali. Thank you. Thanks, Brooks. Uh, still ahead here, stunning video. This man scales a building to save a toddler dangling from a balcony. You have to see this whole thing. And we'll tell you what happened to the hero right afterward. Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got Sam Amick of The Athletic on Bleacher Report's The Full 48. Lakers, for me, would be the panic side on the negative, and then positive-wise, I think Denver, uh, looking as good as they do, you know, has been tremendous. It's been fun to watch. You know, Jokic is a star. You wrote the definitive piece on him last season, and uh, I love everything they have going for him. So check out The Full 48 now on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. This is the most insane, most amazing video you will see all day long. This is what they're calling the real-life Spider-Man in action. I want you to watch as this guy jumps balcony to balcony, rescuing a dangling toddler. This is all happening in Paris. Uh, The man who rescued the child is a 22-year-old migrant from the African nation of Mali. Uh, He makes this look so easy, but there he goes. He spots this child, scales four floors in a matter of seconds. You hear the cheers from the crowd below. Clamors up to grab the child, wait for it, and there you go. Because of his heroic efforts, he has now been granted French citizenship by President Emmanuel Macron. Uh, As for the child's father, he is now facing charges for abandoning his parental responsibilities. He reportedly was out shopping at the time. Uh, I'm Brooke Baldwin. Thank you so much for being with me here in New York. We're going to send things to Erica Hill, who is in for Jake Tapper. The lead starts right now. Are you ready to learn how to build a better consulting or professional services company? Then download the Liston.io show for the best sales and marketing advice so you can deliver your services to the people who need you the most. On the show, I'll be interviewing the smartest people in the industry to share what they know about building a better consulting business. I'll also give you episodes where I tell you specifically how to sell your services with confidence and how to transform into an influential leader in your industry. 
Your happy clients probably want to help you. It's too hard for them right now. You're asking them to do too much of the selling that you should be doing. Yeah, it's going to move. It's going to change. It's going to disrupt you at some point in time. Your most loyal clients are your most profitable. Ready to learn how other people are building the consulting company you've always wanted? Download the Liston.io show spelled L-I-S-T-O-N dot I-O wherever you get your podcasts. Before you go, we wanted to let you know that we just launched the ability for anyone to advertise on CNN Podcasts. You're just a few clicks away from reaching millions of people in a way that you never have before. Advertise for a business event or kick off an awareness campaign for your brand. Start today at purewinning.com slash CNN. Integrating podcasts into your marketing mix has never been easier. Go to purewinning.com slash CNN to get started.